0: Thank you, Tim. Thank you, Praise Team. What a wonderful time of worship we have had here this morning, and uh, may God continue to be honored and glorified as we take time to study His Word together. Uh, we uh, Again, we are resolved to be engaged and equipped in this year, and as we think about that very thing, uh, like I said last week, we're going to put our uh, study through the book of 2 Corinthians on pause for a little bit, and we are going to go to that wonderful little book of Haggai. So. Uh, I'm going to invite you, if you would, grab your copy of God's Word and turn to the book of Haggai. Uh, If you're looking for the route there, the easiest way to get there maybe is to turn to the book of Matthew. Back up one, you're in Malachi. Back up another, you're in Zechariah. And back up another, and there you are. You're in Haggai. Or if you want to take the short route, uh, you can grab a Bible out of the pew rack in front of you and turn to page 839. Uh, So... Anyway, you can do that as well. And as we think about where we are and what we're doing, as we think about being equipped and engaged uh, for the glory of God, that we are really aiming to live for God's glory, and that would permeate everything about who we are and how we are, both as individuals and as we live and function as a church. And it's interesting as you turn in your Bibles there and as you think about where this meets us and everything else, I, I wonder how many times maybe you've said or you've heard somebody say to you, Just give me a minute, right? Just, you know, not forever, just a minute. Maybe you heard it this morning, right? You were trying to get out of the house, and maybe you were getting into the car, and as you're, you know, making your way into the garage or whatever else, and you're saying, you know, we got to go, and you heard somebody say, just give me a minute. I'll be there in a second. We say it all the time at work. We say it all the time when we're, you know, talking with our children. We say it all the time when we're on on the phone. Just give me a second. Just hold on, but I wonder if we think through how often we say that to God Himself, that He has called us to specific things. He has been quite specific in the expectations that He has upon us as His children, as those who believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sin and rose from the dead, that we are to be equipped and engaged, that we are to live and grow and reach the lost, and that He is reaching down into the motivation of our own heart, that we would stop saying, Give me a minute, and we would live for God's glory right now. So grab your copy of God's word and read with me, if you will, in the book of Haggai. We're going to start in verse one, and we're going to read all the way down through verse 11. So read with me, if you will, Haggai chapter one, starting in verse one, and this is what we read. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways, go up to the hills and bring wood and build a house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And When you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore the heavens above you have withheld the dew and the earth has withheld its produce and I have called for a drought on the land and the hills on the grain, the new wine, the oil on what the ground brings forth on man and beast and on all their labors. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, by your Spirit and for your glory convict us now. Father, that you would clarify in our own hearts individually, where we are in relation to you, and how we ought to then live on the basis of your word. Father, we pray that in this moment now, whatever else happens, may you be glorified in the ways in which we respond to the truth that you have revealed for us us. Father, thank You for hope and life in Christ. May our eyes be fixed upon Him as we study together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's interesting when we look at the book of Haggai and you think through the details of all of what we're looking at, and really it's helpful to think through the historical context of so much of what has been going on. Because by the time you get to the book of Haggai, right, the people of Judah had been unfaithful to the Lord. The Babylonian exile had taken place, which started really as people were starting to be pulled out of Judah in 606 B.C., and then another wave came out in 597 B.C., and then the Babylonians showed up and started to besiege the city of Jerusalem. In 587, they showed up, and by 586, they had completely destroyed the city of Jerusalem, removed the people from the land almost in their entirety, and burned the temple to the ground. They had lived in exile. And while they were in exile in a foreign land that they were not familiar with, the Babylonians fell. You can read about this in the book of Daniel. The Persians came to power in 539 B.C. Persia defeated Babylon, uh, Babylon, and they allowed the Jews, they allowed the people of Judah to return to the land to work and to really start on the work of rebuilding the temple. And it started for a time, but then it stalled out. There were other people in the land that did not want them to do this. You can read about this also in Ezra and Nehemiah. They didn't want them involved in the reconstruction of the temple and so they started to get a little afraid of what was going on and then of course in all the details of Persian politics Darius comes to power in 522. And by the time we get to the book of Haggai here it is we're told quite clearly in the second year of Darius the king in the sixth month on the first day of the month. And usually as we read along in the biblical text we read these things we're like you know we're able to narrow it down to some degree and get you know the the date right but as we look at this, we're able to get down to such specific date as we could say this was revealed on August the 29th, 520 B.C. The word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua the son of Jehozadak. Haggai, whose name means festal or to celebrate. And you can see as you read if you would read along in the book of Ezra, you can see in Ezra chapter 5 and verse 6, as the temple is eventually constructed, reconstructed, you see reason for celebration. Zerubbabel, whose name merely means begotten in Babylon, he's the governor assigned by Persia to rule in there, in that place. And Joshua is the high priest. Lots had happened. Life was busy. They'd been back for a while. Some of them had been back for 16 years. That's a long time. And in 16 years, or whether or not it was less than that, even still, it doesn't take long for us to settle into ruts, to just get into the pattern of things. And ultimately, what was happening here is they had gotten into the pattern of simply focusing on themselves. And it takes God Himself in a work of His goodness and grace, to look into our lives and then ask us, what time is it really? Because we read in verse 2, it says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. The Lord of hosts, the Lord, the sovereign Lord over all the armies of heaven. It's helpful to remember who's speaking here. And we think, okay, we're going to listen up. And he says, these people. They say, not yet. Or to say it another way, just give me a minute. We're not saying never. We're not saying we'll never get to it. We're just saying, not yet. At first, they were scared about rebuilding the temple and all the opposition that they had faced. But by this time, 16 years in, they had other things to do just bad timing. It's bad timing to focus on God's glory. It's just stringing God along to a degree. And it's like saying, it's like for the people to look at the Lord and say, yeah, we, we get the whole thing about the exile, and yes, we are very thankful that you brought us back home from exile and gave us the land and everything else, but I really just need some time to focus on myself right now. And we as New Testament believers can easily fall into that same pattern, can't we? You can find yourself saying, Lord, I don't want to focus on your glory and your worship. Because as we think about it, in a New Testament pattern, the temple, we're not talking about rebuilding real estate here. We're not talking about refurbishing things that are around us. We're talking about the posture of our heart and the glory of God in the midst of it that Christ is ultimately the one who is greater than the temple and that we are God's temple, those who trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, who are to focus on the glory of Christ. And it's so easy to say, well, I'll get to it whenever the new year comes around or I'll get to it when things slow down a little bit. It's just not yet. I've just got some other things I've got to do. I mean, we, we thank you for that whole salvation thing. We thank you that you, you know our sin, and even in your love, you sent Jesus to live in perfect righteousness, to die on the cross for our sin, to bear the full outpouring of the wrath of God against our sin, to die, to rise again, to ascend into heaven, to be our advocate before the Father, that you have called us to repent and believe, and you rescue us by grace through faith. We get all of that, but I just need a little time to focus on myself right now. how convicting this really is. Brothers and sisters, let there be no more delays. Live for God's glory now. Whatever it is that is your hindrance or hang-up or whatever else the case may be, that is your excuse to not say no, but to say not yet. It's time to... Throw your life into the hands of the Sovereign Lord who saves you, who sustains you, that you would be equipped, that you would be engaged, that you would be involved, and there would be no more excuses. Because as we read this, this sounds painfully familiar. And dare, we must not think that this sounds painfully familiar because we heard someone else say it. We must say it feels painfully familiar because we've all done this. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Verse 3, then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? God questions our priorities here. And on the one hand, we should read this and recognize the fatherly care that's in here. This is is the heavenly father looking at his people and saying, do you really think that this is a good idea? I wonder how many times we've heard our Parents say that to us, looking at what we're walking into or looking at the ways in which we involve, or get involved in things, and they're like, do you really think this is a good idea? Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses? Not just built, not just livable, but ornate to an extreme degree. And that really this is a stall tactic without end. There's always another thing to do. There's always another project. If you're familiar with the honeydew list, somehow, you never get to the end of it. There's always more to do. There's always something else that needs addressing. This is, you know, fixer-upper, long before fixer-upper ever was a thing. And the issue was constantly this focus upon self to the exclusion of the glory of God. We'll get to that later, knowing good and well, this list of things to do is never going to come to an end. He says, is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house, the temple, lies in ruins? It's an expression in action that displays severe disrespect and disregard for the Lord God Himself. I mean, I, I can't imagine any, any of us getting away with, you know, you look at your wife and be like, look, I know the house does not have a roof on it, but I've really got to drop a few strokes on my golf game. Would that work? Like, look, I know there's walls missing in the house, and it really needs a lot of attention, but the car needs to be waxed. Like, what are we doing here? This focus on self and and neglecting worship, that this is about more than just the money here. This is about our time and our focus and our attention and our excuses so easily expose our hearts. This is about more than a place of worship. You think of the temple itself, the place wherein sinful man is reconciled to a holy God, where the sacrifice of atonement was made, where mercy and grace and forgiveness is known, where holiness is on display, where worship and awe and wonder took place all the time. And as New Testament believers, that should be going on right here, that we are to live for God's glory in Christ, that atonement is applied, forgiveness of sins, displaying His glory and it's time to invest in the glory of God in our lives that we must not care so much about externals while the temple lies in ruins. And that this ought to be on display amongst our families in all of our planning and all the paths that we have in front of us. Prioritizing God's glory. No more delays. No more excuses. Because in reality, disinterest is the worst kind of neglect. It's one thing to forget. It's a whole other matter to disregard on purpose. It would be bad enough if you forgot your own anniversary. It would be worse still If you looked at your spouse and said, we've already celebrated this a couple of times, what are we doing this again for? Right? Disinterest is the worst kind of neglect. May we not be guilty. No more delays. Live for God's glory. And we are given such clear instruction here. Now consider, verse 5, Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You've sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. That we are to consider, as we think about living for God's glory and say, okay, well, what are we going to do? How do we do this now? We'll start thinking it through. Where, in whom are we pursuing satisfaction? And whom are we looking to to satisfy? Because we are running the risk of, of saying we're going to do that for ourselves. That's not just the tendency of our own hearts. That's been the case across human history. He says, consider your ways. Think this through. Ponder your pursuits and your intentions and your actions. Think about the road that you're traveling on. Does it ultimately lead to your satisfaction in Christ? Think about the ways in which your life is structured and what you are doing, where you are aiming. What road are you on? Consider your ways, and pursue satisfaction in Christ. This is not simply God correcting us. This is a display of God's goodness. He is actually preventing His people from being satisfied with trivial things. What a good God we have. That in His discipline, He's drawing us to draw from the fountain of living waters. And I wonder this morning, could it be that in your own life, in the midst of your frustration and maybe even your discontent in where you are in your life today, God has brought you to that place to lead you right into the wonders of His mercy and grace and forgiveness. He said, look at your life. You've sown much and harvested little. You've worked so hard. You've sown so much, put so much effort into it. You think about there are so many things in our lives that we put so much effort into only to get almost nothing out of it. You think of all the ways in which we prioritize and emphasize work and just do it, just make it happen. Work is a good thing. Work is not a bad thing, but he's saying, look here, if you're looking to have your life satisfied in work, it's not going to happen. You just throw all this labor and all this labor and all this labor into it, and it won't alone satisfy until you are satisfied in Christ in the midst of it, and you see that this is much bigger than you just having a job of seeing your life and your workplace as a place wherein God has providentially given you opportunities to engage in ministry, that you can pursue satisfaction in that with your career. Consider your ways. You've sown much and harvested little. He even gets down into the reality of our own leisure and the way in which we enjoy things. He says, you you eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. Unfortunately, you get that box of nuggets from Chick-fil-A, and you're you're eating them along the way, and you get to the end, and you're like, I can't believe it, right? You might have had 10. You might have had 30. I don't know, but you still get to the end, and you're like, it's never enough. Our appetites are never fully satisfied. You drink, but you never have your fill. It's as though these things weren't designed to satisfy us in an ultimate sense because they're not. One cup of coffee just leads to you wanting another one, one cup of tea just leads into wanting another cup of tea. We're not meant to be satisfied in that, but whether you eat or drink, do it all to the glory of God, that when you see Christ at work in the midst of it. That you think of all the ways in which we use our work and all the ways in which we use our leisure for the glory of God, that we live for God's glory by being satisfied in Christ in the midst of what we are doing and that we would be exalting Him in the midst of it. That our lives would be shaped around glorifying Him in every single way. No more delays in it. That we would live satisfied in Christ. He says, you clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so only to put them into a bag with holes. We can put the, you know, you can get the clothes. Maybe, I mean, you may have, you might be wearing your nude whatever's from Christmas, right? Right? Like Oh, it's brand new. Feels good. Ready to go. And it's amazing the ways in which we can cover up so much with our clothing. We can hide things under a nice veneer. Exactly what the people were doing here. They were hiding the fact that, you know, look at our houses. Everything seems to be going good, but they were empty in here. Look at all the things that we are doing. Look at all the ways in which we are so busy. Look at all the ways in which we have all this food and all this drink. Look at all the ways in which we have all these things. Look at our clothes. He says, you clothe yourselves. No one is warm. So many of us hiding under a nice veneer, a broken mess of a life. The devastation of living with such self-centered focus. Outwardly adorned, and inwardly freezing, discontent, needing the warmth of God's glorious grace and peace. That we need to stop pretending like it's okay as we shiver under the layers of our own provision. He says he earns wages only to put them into a bag with holes. We can't earn our way out of a spiritual deficit. Money will not satisfy you. Say it another way. Be content with what you have. For I have said I will never leave you or forsake you. Christ is enough to satisfy. Money won't do it. It's easy for us to say that, isn't it? It's a whole other thing to live it. It's a different matter altogether. Maybe you read this and you get the old Dean Martin song stuck in your head about money burning a hole in your pocket. Maybe every time you go to the grocery store and you, you, know, you fill up your cart and it looks like you've got four things in there and you get down and you're checking out and you're like, what just happened there? It's as though there are holes in my pockets. Overwhelmingly frustrating and you're thinking, there's, there's got to be a way out of here. The way out of here is not simply economics. He's saying all these things, God has allowed all these things so that they would look to Him for satisfaction. God is shaking us out of our ruts and all the mistaken places of our hope that we would pursue satisfaction in Jesus Christ. We would be satisfied in the atonement that He has provided. We would be satisfied in the sanctification that He is working out in us, in the fellowship that He has provided, that He Himself is greater than the temple and we have Him. Dare we not be sowing seed while ignoring the Lord of the harvest? Dare we not be feasting and drinking by ignoring He who is the bread of life and the fountain of living waters? Dare we not be clothing ourselves with filthy rags while caring nothing for the righteousness that He provides? Or living our lives to earn only to waste it instead of investing in things that matter for eternity? Brothers and sisters, let us now consider our ways that we would pursue satisfaction in Christ. And thus says the Lord of hosts, verse 7, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build a house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. And what are we supposed to do now? We're supposed to do what he says. And then we ought to glorify God in our dependence upon him. He says, go get the wood. Go build the house that I may take pleasure in it, that I may be glorified, says the Lord. On the one hand, it's sort of like, you know where to get this, look at your house, right? And on the other hand, we have to see here that God is so good in the fact that He calls us to what He provides for, and that the time for action is now. Not tomorrow, not a week from now, not a month from now, not when you're tired, not when your kids finally have some whatever it is that they, they got going on, figured out, the time is now. To lean into this, to consider your ways and just respond, go, go do it. Publicly display God as our priority. No more ruins. Ruins of apathy and ruins of isolation, ruins of our own pride where we build our lives around ourselves. He's saying, no, 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 no. build it all with joyful dependence upon Him. That we would feast upon His Word. We would lay our lives down in prayer on a regular basis. We would not neglect the assembling together. We would rejoice in it. We would be astounded with the just glad-hearted generosity in our own hearts. And that we would see our homes not simply as places of isolation where we can hide out, but as radical, wonderful displays, as outposts of gospel hospitality. Why? Why? That I may take pleasure in it, that I may be glorified, says the Lord. That God delights when he is clearly most significant in our lives. Is he? It's easy to read this and just not along with the facts. He delights when he is clearly most significant in our lives. But we have to ask ourselves, is he? That God is so good that he will not allow us to be deluded with wrong ideas of his worth and worthiness. But who is it that you are ultimately aiming to please with your life? Are we aiming to simply take everything that he has provided for us, all the talents, all the skills, all the gifts, and everything else, and lift it up to him and say, this is all for you, Lord. This is all for your glory. Use this, Lord. And that we would see the delight of dependence upon him to take our meager offering and do magnificent works of his glory and grace through us. He says, build the house that I may take pleasure in it, that I may be glorified. It's hard not to think about construction here and think about all of what that means because one part of construction, of course, is removal. And I wonder in our own lives what needs to be removed. That before we can build right, sometimes things need to be taken out. And I wonder if there are things in our lives that are just lingering in the the temple of our own hearts. We just need to ask God to remove it What in us needs to be restored? That we would look to Him and say, Lord, help me. Lord, work this out in me. Lord, I know You provide in ways that I need. Lord, I depend upon You for salvation and sanctification to grow me, to equip me, to lead me into being engaged. That I would depend on what God has provided and glorify Him with our dependence." Because he says in verse 9, You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why? Declares the Lord of hosts. Because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. You looked for much, and it came to little. And then we read, God blew it away. Is this mean? Or is this mercy? Is this God just being an authoritarian? Or is this God exercising His authority for His glory and ultimately what is best for us as well? Because you might be living in a circumstance right now where you feel this and it's so frustrating. And you get so discontent in it and all the effort and aim for the ways in which you try to just figure it out and make it happen on your own. And I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna bring it home and God just blows it away. So we prioritize ourselves we had such high expectations for all of what we invested our lives in, so sure I'm able to do it, so sure I can do this, so sure I can make it happen, so sure I can accomplish this. And it's so easy not, to, not only to do this as individuals, but even to do it as a church. We can be so bold and brash, we can do this, we can make it happen, we can reach our community, we can transform lives. No, we can't. God does. We rely upon Him to do in us what we cannot do ourselves. We, we glorify Him by our dependence. And that God in His grace and in His mercy is taking all these things that they were so attached to and holding fast to and just blowing them away. You need me more than you need all the accolades of your own self-pursuits. God is too loving and too good to allow us to be satisfied with anything other than Him. We ought to delight in that. And I wonder if you're here and you have so many questions of your own life, of why isn't this working? Why isn't this working out how I planned it? Why isn't this satisfying? And like a stop for us, To pause and consider. It's like an advisor walking into your life and saying, What are you investing in? Are you investing in what matters for the moment or what matters for eternity? God is too good to lead us to be satisfied in things that don't matter. What an amazing thought it is to be his child it 's when we finally just enjoy being with him, when we delight in our dependence upon him, when we are satisfied in him, that we stop feeling like we 're running off in a thousand different directions. It reminds me of those kidlish backpack things. you familiar with those things right the it's got the cute little bear or dog face, and right, you put it on your child, and you're like, oh, it's a cute little backpack. And, but out from the back of it comes this little leash, right? Maybe you've seen people walking their kids around stores or whatever. And, you know, sometimes you're like, I can't believe they're doing that. And sometimes you're looking at your own child and be like, you need a leash. <laughs> but it's interesting watching how these things function, Because when the child is just determined to run off in every separate direction, it can be an overwhelmingly frustrating experience for the child, right? Because it's like, oh, I see something over here, and you go running in that direction, and then eventually that leash comes to an an end, and it's like, nope, you're not going over there. And it's like, oh, I'm going to go pursue all this and go running in that direction. The leash comes to an end, and it's like, nope, you're not going over there. And in loving correction, every time the parent is pulling the child back, and it's not until the child is satisfied with the fact that they're just with the parent That there's slack in the leash, and the frustration goes away. See, so many of us are like the kid who's just running after everything that's around us. And we run to the extent of the leash, and God in His love, when we are His child by faith in Jesus Christ, corrects us, and it's frustrating, and sometimes it hurts, and He pulls us back, and we need to come back and draw close to Him that there would be slack in the leash and satisfaction in Christ. That we would glorify God in our dependence upon Him. Because God tells us in verse 10, Therefore the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. I have called for a drought on the land, and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, and what what the ground brings forth on man and beast and on all their labors. Don't toddle with trivialities. Let's not look at daily life without dependence on our glorious God. Because he's able to take all these things that we just want to pursue and want to obsess over and want to just be consumed with, and it just dries up. And it's frustrating. And all the ways we can say, I'm going to fix this, I'm going to fix this, I'm going to fix this, and then a drought happens, and like, I can't fix that. And that God is, in His grace, leading His people away from this idea of, I'm going to do it myself, to simply being on our knees and saying, Oh God, help us! And He does. How loving it is that He would correct us in this way. That He would bring us to an end of ourselves, that we would enjoy Him. Listen brother and sister in Christ. For everybody in here who knows Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, who has repented of your sin, who has trusted in Christ, crucified and resurrected, listen. Don't spend your life on what will never satisfy. Invest your life in the things that matter for eternity. Teaching your kids to follow Christ. Taking that time with your grandchildren to teach them to follow Christ. Investing in reaching your neighbors. Investing in being equipped yourself to reach your neighbors and friends. Don't spend your life on the things. Investing in only the things that you're going to get some measure of fleeting fruit out of for a moment. But the things that you will forever look to Christ and say, God be glorified in Christ through this for all eternity. And listen also, unbeliever. Nothing in this world will satisfy you. Your career will come to an end, your relationships will end in loss. Your clothes will eventually fade. The food will never be enough. Only Christ will do. Trust Him today. Consider your ways. Because it's appointed a man wants to die and then comes judgment. What are we going to say with our lives? What have we been invested in all this time? What have uh, we as a church but even you as an individual we have to come to grips with the fact that we can't do this on our own We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have a sin problem. We have sinned against a righteous and a holy God. We deserve wrath. And the only hope of our reconciliation with a holy God is repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, crucified and resurrected for us. Won't you consider your ways and stop investing in the things that only matter for a moment and invest in the things that matter for eternity by turning from your sin and trusting in Christ as Savior and Lord? This is a call for all of us. The time is now to live for the glory of God, to pursue being satisfied in Him, and to glorify God with our dependence. No more delays. No more saying in a minute. Let us respond in a way that glorifies Him. Now, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank you for the helpful focus of your word. And Lord, we pray that by your spirit, you would make direct and immediate application of it. Father, that we would not be thinking of someone else in the room, but Father, that in our own hearts would be laid bare before you. For the person here who needs to turn away from their sin and trust in Christ for the first time, we pray that today would be the day of their salvation. Where they would no longer be pursuing satisfaction in anything else, but would find satisfaction in the fact that Jesus Christ died and rose again for them. Father, stir their hearts for your glory by repenting and believing for the first time. Father, for all of us in here, may we consider our ways. Let us live for your glory now. Let it be on display in our individual lives, in the way in which we use our time, and the way in which we love our families, the way in which we love our community, the way in which we live as a church. Father, in all things and in every way, be glorified as we respond to the call now to live for your glory. Thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Thank you for your love and not allowing us to be satisfied with things that don't matter be exalted now as our hearts are humble before you. In Jesus' name we pray.